0: Hello and welcome to the Too Stupid to Quit podcast, a podcast where me, actor, musician and voice artist Josh Stamford, and my very good friend, director Danny Baldwin, talk to all kinds of creatives at different stages of their career about their journeys to
1: where they are now. That is right, Josh. We'll be talking to them about their struggles, successes and any advice they picked up along the way. And most importantly, what makes them Too, too stupid, stupid to, to Quit. quit. So we'll be talking to actors,
0: writers, directors, musicians, composers, comedians, artists and
1: just about everyone in between, hopefully. But as you probably won't know too much about Josh or me, we decided to kick it off by interviewing each other. Yeah, that'd be nice, won't it? That'd be lovely. Um, right, should we do you?
0: No, we're going to start with you, I think. Mm. Yeah, no, we are. Let's do that. Let's do that in three, two, action.
1: I say action, not you. Sorry. I have some weird features. I I had um, speech problems as a kid. I was the weird kid. You know, I'd fucking do anything for a bit of attention, like lick the ground, eat glue. So
0: as we've mentioned this week, I'm going to be interviewing my co-host, director Danny Baldwin. And Danny is a highly talented young-ish director from, in his words, the unofficial capital of culture, Milton Keynes. Now Danny trained as a director at the world-renowned Drama Centre London, and his career kicked off with his first short film, which he directed whilst at drama school, being accepted into Raindance International Film Festival, which propelled him into the world of commercials and advertising, making films for the likes of the NSPCC, HSBC and The Guardian, to name but a few and winning awards along the way. Now he's recently wrapped on his first mini-documentary called Sunnyside, which is due for release in about a week's time. He's a vegan, and he looks like a cross between Ryan Gosling and Smeagol.
1: Cheers, man. Danny, how's it going? Oh yeah, good for hearing that. You made me sound well good. (laughs) (laughs) Up until the end. What's been happening? Oh, just isolation life, baby.
0: Yeah, you enjoying it?
1: Yes, I am, actually, and I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> uh, it's given me a lot of time for, for you know, some creative thinking, some writing, um, doing a lot of DIY and stuff, getting the house and garden nice. Um, you know, yeah, I've I've been having a world of a time. I think, obviously, shit situation, but I, I'm definitely making the most of it. What about you, man? Good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All good. The, but this week is about you. So let's All not right. let's not worry too much about what I've
1: been. Up I just doing. want to know how you're coping through isolation. I love
0: it. I don't. Obviously, I don't love the the negative side of it. You know? It's
1: really hard to say how much you love something when there's something so awful around the world. But yeah, yeah. But it
0: is it is an introvert's paradise, mm. and I'm afraid that is that is I. So how are we going to s- s- get things going? What's happening first? I would like to start by warming you up with a few silly questions just before we get into your creative journey if that's okay Mm
1: -hmm.
0: okay so question one they're all hypothetical okay Mm. so you've been hired to direct a film about your own life who would you cast as the lead actor and what would your main note to the actor be
1: Mm. oh god that's really difficult I mean, obviously, Ryan Gosling. I th- I thought you might say that.
0: Yeah. What?
1: What? What? Why? Because he's got wonky eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to say that you have wonky eyes? I don't know. I, I might do, and I feel like it's a, a. He's got some flawed features, yet he comes across as charming and and uh, handsome, and handsome and. I have some weird features uh and I'd like to come across as charming and handsome. <laughs> okay, and what would your main note to Ryan Gosling be? Let's
0: call yeah. him Ryan seeing as we clearly know him personally. Mm,
1: uh I'd say look Ryan, you are desperate to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, as as in as, as as Danny Baldwin? Yeah, your character. Yeah. Okay. Is your character. And I probably <laughs> wouldn't tell him that it's me because I was in that situation would be desperate for him to like me. Um, but surely
0: he'd know. Surely the
1: film is called Danny Baldwin, The Golden Years or something like that. I think we'd have uh, a working title, which uh, it's only revealed that it's actually my life story afterwards. Right. So
0: working title being like vegan sandwich or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, question two. Who would you cast to play me? And again, what would your main note to the actor be? This would be fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, you obviously want it to be Tom Hardy. Naturally. So let's just say it's Tom Hardy. Oh, that's um, that's, that's it's a lazy answer, but I'll take it. Is it is really lazy. And my note for him would be, uh, every thought you have you have to say it (laughs) you have to say everything comes to you and if you don't it bottles up inside you so much that you start getting edgy and anxious you stop listening to anyone else until you've said it (laughs) and then there's a sigh of relief and i and I'll, i'll be like look i don't give a fuck about the script as you're going along just just say those things man I'm going to try desperately not
0: to be that character for this podcast because I don't want to get myself into too much
1: trouble, to be perfectly honest. Mm. And I don't want to hire lawyers just to <laughs> protect you. Fine. I will I will keep a lid on it. Um,
0: question three. In this film, bizarrely, Christian Bale is cast as me instead of Tom Hardy, which is weird because it should be Tom Hardy. Mm, it is weird and yeah anyway um so you're on set a lighting technician walks across christian bale's line of sight and for the second time in his career not again he has a total fucking meltdown Mm. how do you handle it as a director
1: you know that is such a good question because i always thought that my set would be my domain and i'm the head poncho poncho did i say poncho Hon- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm a poncho um and I, I i always thought that you know i could just take people's side and be like don't be a dick and then i worked with a couple of celebs right. and i realized that that just it is such a hard balance i mean by that point i guess i'm an a-lister myself yeah i mean i'd yeah i'd want to take him to the side and say uh this is not acceptable behavior you know we'll we'll make sure it doesn't happen again but um you know we're working on this film together we're trying to create something so let's you know treat everyone like a human being and as we wish to be treated ourselves but uh yeah i I think it's a really difficult thing for directors um
0: should we should we crack into should we crack into you
1: yeah man exciting
0: I want you off the fucking set, you prick. No, don't just be sorry. Think for one fucking second. Are you professional or not? No, don't shut me up. Fuck's sake, man, you're amateur. Seriously, man, you and me, we're fucking done professionally. Right, mate. Well, I hope you're feeling warm. Very warm. So let's dive into your your journey then. Now, we often hear stories about famous directors like Tim Burton, Peter Jackson, Steven Spielberg, to name a few, starting out really young, I mean as kids really, and uh, playing around with old Super 8 cameras and, and cutting together their first films. But when did you first realise you wanted to be a
1: director? Oh man, uh, not until quite late, like my early 20s, did I really get interested in the idea of being a director. Um, before that I wanted to be an actor, actually.
0: How, how did you get into acting?
1: Um, yeah, just, just doing stuff at school. I mean, as a, as a kid, like primary school, that was like a really isolating time for me. My first school, at least, um, not, yeah, it was a little bit on the bullying side, but it was just, I just really didn't have any mates. I was lonely. That's so sad. It was a really, oh man, it was fucking horrible. I used to just walk around the playground on my own. Uh, I had to hang out with my brother and his mates. Um, why do you think that was? I had, um, speech problems as a kid It's probably why my diction is so fucking shite now. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really talk to us about three and I just used to mumble and, and then I had, uh, then I went to school and there were just stuff that I couldn't do. I couldn't do L's and I couldn't do ths. So if there's like words with too many L's and ths or like sentences around each other, it still fucks me up so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have to really be careful for that um and i think because of that i was sort of m- quite quiet uh, i wasn't very confident and it's a fucking dog eat dog world isn't it primary school it's... is is it mine was lovely <laughs> oh mine, mine was, wasn't uh yeah so so i i then i moved school and the, the school dynamic was completely different i went from like a really strict school to a really um you could get away with a murder and it was my my chance to sort of reinvent myself and i i just became the class clown i was the weird kid you know i'd fucking do anything for a bit of attention like lick the ground eat glue (laughs) that was the fucking (laughs) (laughs) worst. it was so bad used to get such a bad headache um and i think it was that so i so i was craving attention craving like people to look at me and give me that and then i started drama in secondary school and that was just where everything clicked it was like all of a sudden you had like everyone's eyes on you you had that attention especially doing things like comedies just that instant gratification and I got hooked on it big time and that was just yeah my complete passion so you've so you fell in love
0: with it um Mm. but what what sort of what what made you stop what made you want to move towards becoming a director
1: I, I think I was, I had some under like base level ability. Right. Like I was quite good instinctually, but I couldn't take direction and manipulation and evolution of a performance is not something I can do. Um, but I went to uni and I studied uh, drama and I was still trying to do the acting. And then I, um, I ended up writing and directing a show
0: Yeah,
1: and that was when I was like, "Oh fuck, this like directing thing is actually really good." You get to pull the strings, you get to develop the narrative, and that was where the first sort of um, liking the idea of of directing started. Uh, But going back, because I feel like I've I've gone about this in a really roundabout way. But going back to what you're saying about you know um, Spielberg and all that, Peter Jackson using their Super Eight cameras. I had none of that as a kid. Like I, I didn't do anything, really, uh, within the film world at all. I didn't, you know, make stuff with my friends. I just, yeah, we didn't. I think we had a home camera, but I never used. I never had any ambition.
0: Do you think that makes you feel inadequate as a as a director when you you see these sort of superstar directors who, oh, you know, we started off at the age of ten mm. cutting together film, and you haven't had
1: that path. I mean, massively, massively, and even meeting people because that's like them making films as a kid is not a rare thing. There's so many directors out there or people that want to be directors that started as a kid, making shit with super eights and stuff or
0: phones these days, I guess.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. And when you talk to them, you just sort of sink down in your chair <laughs> and you're just like, Oh fuck this guy. No, this is what a real director is. <laughs> um What I always just try and remember is, you know, everyone has a different story getting into directing. Like there's no one clear path. And I think that is really important. So yeah, you don't have to have done stuff as a kid. Yeah.
0: And so with this sort of relatively fresh idea of wanting to be a director in mind, having finished university, you then applied to Drama Centre for the directing pathway. Did you only apply to Drama Centre?
1: I did, yeah. That was the... I put all my eggs in that basket. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Uh, It was the only place that taught directing for screen specifically that um, didn't require uh, any previous work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I didn't need to have a a short film or anything before then where lots of places you need a a portfolio. And that was just something I didn't have and there was no way of me making that i don't think fair enough so la-
0: lazy man's way in basically
1: absolutely i, I got on a pure charisma <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like at drama center oh man it was so fucking good i loved drama center so much it was one of the best experiences of my life it was you know when people talk back and be like oh what was your favorite age and mine was 23 because that was when i went to drama centre um i loved it so much man
0: what was it in particular that that you loved so
1: much um i mean b- before drama school i was working in a factory i'd been working in there for about 2 years i was working uh, 70 hours a week i'm i'm glad you've mentioned that cuz uh i've got a question for you about that good i yeah, i mean there's a uh, a DOP who I work with a lot called Charles Mori, and uh, he he brings it up all the time. Like when we're talking to people, he's like, "Oh, did you know that uh, Danny used to work in a factory?" <laughs> it's like he just finds my sob story um, pitiful and funny. <laughs> yeah, and I was really a, a sort of emotional mental health low. I I, I felt worthless. Um, I didn't have a huge group of friends there was only like one or two people that I'd actually speak to um and yeah I was in a really bad place and then I went to drama center and I was surrounded by brilliant people who accepted me and um just yeah allowed me to grow both within directing field but also as a person and um Yeah, I think I I have who I am today, and the confidence I have today, I have Drama Centre to thank for that, most definitely. Well, I think that's really sweet, really. Mm. And um, sometimes, you know, in the big real world that I'm in now, it's harder. Oh, fuck, my dog's going off. Hi, Ziggy. Hello, Ziggy. What's
0: uh, what's caused this little panic?
1: My neighbour, he doesn't like him very much. Ziggy, you're going to be quiet, mate ah quiet good boy uh no
0: (laughs) i guess one thing i noticed in particular about drum school was that there were quite a mixture of different backgrounds um obviously a lot of students from either wealthy or well-connected backgrounds who who sort of had it all paid for um and others like yourself who, who weren't so fortunate. And this brings us neatly back to you working in Mm. a factory. Um, Obviously, drama school is a very expensive thing to do. And, uh, and, and I know you funded it yourself. So a, tell us a little bit more about Mm. the factory uh, and B, and more importantly, how did that make you feel compared to the other students who, who maybe had an easier ride?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't, I think i noticed the disparity so much when i was at drama school um i think i was you know you wrapped up in the fun and um i think because i'd worked so basically i worked for two years in a factory beforehand to save up every penny i could what, what kind of factory was it It was a coca-cola factory and yet they still haven't hired me which is Uh, as a director um (laughs) they're probably hiring me as a factory worker again (laughs) um so i'd worked for two years uh, and then i came into this amazing place uh, and i had money because i would saved up enough for the course itself and to live in london for a year without having to worry about work so i don't think i really thought about that disparity so much it was only afterwards uh when I'd spent all my money and I was so poor <laughs> um, that I'd look back and the amount of money I spent was obscene in a, such a short period of time.
0: Well, look, I think it's very admirable. Cheers, man. So when drama school came to an end, Mm. um, immediately afterwards, or pretty much immediately afterwards, one of your short student films, which you made while we were at drama school, um, was screened at Rain Dance International Film Festival. And that was at a View Cinema, if I remember correctly, in in Piccadilly. Yeah,
1: maybe something. Yeah, one of those big
0: ones. So how did that come about? um and how did it feel at the time
1: how did it come about uh, i mean i just entered it into some festivals uh and it got picked um simple as that what yeah man I don't, yeah uh and what was it like um i don't know i have a bit of beef with film festivals anyway uh in what in what way i don't know i i i think the idea of i i think the thing that you get the the what's it called that reef thing um laurel uh that's what people love um and that's what gets you noticed and gets people talking to you but no one's fucking interested in your film <laughs> but do you, do you think it helped your career yes uh it gave me those first talking points and it's something easy to put into an email that um people recognize but the experience itself uh i was really excited but i mean it was quite anticlimactical because um we got paired up with some albanian documentary so it was our 10 minute film (laughs) and then like two hours of the worst film i've ever seen in my life it was so boring (laughs) i I feel like i left but maybe i'm making that up no i think you must have watched it we did we left a second time because we, we were the film was shown twice and i was adamant that i'd watch it twice because it's in a cinema and that's really cool but i definitely did not watch the feature twice <laughs> <laughs> um on that subject now
0: as i've sort of alluded to i played one of the leads in that mm. film uh and looking back i can't help but think that that both of us have Come on quite a long way since then. I'll, I'll be honest, I actually think that it's quite shit, <laughs> that film. <laughs> oh,
1: cheers, man. <laughs> well, look, it's a
0: reflection <laughs> on myself as much as, as you um, and, and everyone else involved. My fingers pointed solely at you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how do you feel about it now and what did you learn from it? Look, I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen it in a very long time. But it is still on my website. Is uh, it? Yeah. Um, Vanagalwin.com. Very... Co.uk, because I couldn't get .com. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm proud of it, man, because it was the sort of coming together of everything I'd learned at Drama Centre. I, I went from the previous year never directing anything, never making a film, not even touching a camera, then going through everything and having a short film at the end of it and it was sort of a representation of everything I learned um so it still means a lot to me because of that and I'm still very proud of it because of that now will I be sending it to uh potential (laughs) clients no (laughs) um but I have a fondness for it I know what you
0: mean I guess I'm, yeah, I, I look at it and I cringe, mm. but then then the ending happens with that music um, from The National mm. that we managed to somehow blag the rights for. Um, and it, it does, you, you do well up a bit. Yeah. Um. So after that, after mm. that sort of initial spike, Rain Dance, where you thought you were Barry Big
1: Bollocks. I mean, I was a director and I was just waiting for people to call me up to make that feature film, man. Yeah. And whilst waiting, I think it's fair to say
0: that you struggled a bit as a freelancer <laughs> without without being throw you under the bus. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was
1: so hard. <laughs> yeah. oh, I cannot tell you how hard it was. I I was so poor. Um, I was living in a, thankfully, a very cheap flat that wasn't disgusting, and. I just struggled. I, I didn't. The, the problem with Drama Centre was that it doesn't give you any resources for the outside world. It doesn't tell you how to make connections. It doesn't set you up with people, really. Um, as a director. as a, I think as a director, even probably, I mean, you'll probably maybe talk about this in yours, but maybe even as an actor, a lot of people that come into talks are fucking ancient, to, to put it bluntly, <laughs> and they haven't been working in the industry for 30 years yeah. and no longer have any contacts themselves. So um just knowing what to do and how to become a director in the real world was was really hard um and like i said i was so poor i used to cry probably daily about how poor i was and that's really hard to um think rationally Mm. about your trajectory your career what to do next the steps to make when you are desperate for the next paycheck and relying on beans on toast for your nutrition <laughs> yeah man i i, I was I, I i had not even heinz beans on toast it was like value beans on toast with maybe not even toast sometimes that was just, just beans on plate sometimes not even beans some <laughs> i had i had a fucking bread no what is it a toast sandwich <laughs> yeah. two piece of bread piece of toast in the middle <laughs> Fuck. um so what kind of work were you getting around then yeah so so i did get some work a ginny um our line producer at Drama Center, God bless her soul. Um R.I.P. R.I.P. She was one of the, the the kindest women and uh the real a lifeline for me in a time when uh I really needed it. She sent a lot of work my way and that just kept the the wall from the door. Um but otherwise I was getting, you know, uh just really crap jobs low-paid jobs but ones that were you know where you went out and filmed it yourself you edit it yourself you direct it yourself you fucking you did everything um hire your mate who's an actor to be the sound man on it exactly you do (laughs) you do what you can to keep costs down (laughs) um oh god there was the first actual job i ever did was for um an organization that was making videos like fitness videos for the nhs yeah specifically for obese people this is one that you came along to i remember yeah <laughs> and the script was about two hours long and you were doing the auto cue by hand when you just had pieces <laughs> of paper and throwing away the pieces of paper <laughs> that was excruciate and i did lots of work like that um just to make ends meet and i and i didn't really know what i was meant to be doing but i'm glad i did them they taught me about cameras and uh the real world
0: <laughs> so so to, if you were to sort of categorize the the work you did i guess if if there are any you know young directors just looking for those first nuggets of work what what would you mm. say to to look for um
1: what were they i guess they were um there was pr- promo stuff um explainer videos interviews um live events um sort of live music video stuff those sort of lower end stuff that you can just rock up with a camera by yourself and where Um, do you find
0: that sort of work
1: yeah so the sites at the time one of the big ones that i used was film and tv pro but i think that's turned to mandy now um there was Oh, what else do I use a lot? I mean, I had a whole list because I had to prove to the the dole woman that I was actually looking for work. <laughs> um, what else? Was film and TV Pro, production base, um, Grapevine, my first job in TV and film. Um, I mean, a lot of these places I didn't get any work from. Right. But uh, Film and TV Pro was probably the biggest one that sort of saved me. I It's... It's so clear to see uh, from those starting days about how important it is to know someone. Um, The fact that I was getting work at drama school was because I knew Ginny. Um, And the fact that I wasn't getting much luck in anything else was, you know, partly because I didn't fucking know anyone. Mm. No one in my group of friends went on to anything film related. No one at my school, really, I don't think... Um, None of my family, none of my family friends uh,
0: is... so, so would you say that you felt that i think' it's, I think it's often referred to as a, a social divide in the industry sometimes mm. that that can be financial um, sometimes it can be not having the connections, but I think there mm. is it, it is an industry which helps out those who are already in it and, and people mm. who are connected to those people so would, would you say you felt that?
1: yeah definitely i think you need three things you need one of three things sorry you either need money shit ton money um a connection yeah connections uh or sheer stupidity of determination um where you just keep carrying on no matter what and uh that's fortunately what i had
0: right and so you did keep working on on those sort of smaller productions and and, and digging away, but it yeah was, man, but it was unlikely I think it's fair to say that sort of work was unlikely to take you to the next level no, so, so what was your plan from there how did you How did you move away from that and and sort of yeah. find your feet a bit more so
1: so so that stuff was to keep me alive um to I was really determined to to keep working as a director as a filmmaker that didn't last forever when i was starting up because um at one point i decided to to sort of jack in some shit jobs and and work in a pub and that for a bit just to allow me to work on some more passion projects um but what took me to the next level was things like spec commercials okay there was a great site at the time called mo film i don't know if they're still around but i'm sure there's similar things where they put you in touch with brands um and you make really cheap commercials for them and it was sort of like a competition thing and you can win a bit of money from it uh and things like that if your idea was good enough um so i was i was doing or trying to do those two things and that is really really um what took me to the next level because then people could see that i've done stuff for brands or that i've done stuff within the 30 second a minute yeah yeah framework i've i've sort of um taken a brief a client and worked with a client and things like that um and that gave me my first sort of like real big real world opportunity which was with a company i'm still with now called three angry men and they gave me a chance to work with them as director um and since then i've just been doing some really nice commercials with them it's been wicked so so Three Angry Men are a production company?
0: Yeah. Is that how you dis- describe it? Mm-hmm. And they have in-house directors, yep. sound people,
1: producers? No, so they only have in-house directors, producers and editors and everyone else we hire in.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay. fine. And what sort of projects do you work on with, with Three Angry Men?
1: What do we do? We do commercials online and TV. We do brand new content. We do some corporate stuff. A lot of our charities are... A lot of our charities? A lot of our clients are charities. So a lot of the work we do um, is all about films that matter. Uh, right. And there's some real feel-good stuff there. And we work with really sensitive issues as well, like mental health, um, homelessness. Uh, so, yeah, we get we get those real feel-good films. Um, I mean, the, the charity projects sound
0: amazing i've seen some of them um yeah i mean you should have seen all of them yeah i've seen some of them (laughs) (laughs) um they sound really rewarding to make um Mm. but knowing you and listening to you now and and sort of hearing a bit more it, it does seem like although you've clearly grown as a director whilst working with three angry men and they've obviously done some really good work. And and I know that some of those, um, the work with the charities has has won you some awards as well. As rewarding as all of that is, uh, both sort of emotionally and and physically in terms of the awards. Mm. It's not quite what you originally had in the back of your mind back in the days of our sort of pipe dream conversations about, you know, directing films and TV or for me Mm. acting in the films and TV. So
1: would you say that's fair or... I mean, I think I was naive at the time to um, what the world of a director is, um, and I think that's ever-changing. Um, I don't really see things as like separate trajectories anymore. I mean, I, I, I think I'm loving doing commercials at the moment. I think that's what I'll keep doing, um, but I mean, at some point, I, I think I will make a feature film and maybe make another and may, maybe make another. And that's still something. These are still goals for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I set out from the very beginning that I was going to be a working director. I wasn't going to be a hobby director. And for me, the way that I could make films, I could learn um, and I could survive was going into commercials. And I don't think I knew really about the world of commercials when I first started at drama school. Um, but you know we're making some incredible stuff now, so yeah, I it probably wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing. I think the little old me thought I was going to be straight on a television set or making a feature film within two years.
0: Yeah, working but,
1: BBC dramas or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But um, no, I'm, I, I yeah, I, I just see it all as part of my journey, and I'll get to them when the time comes.
0: So with all that in mind, what's the, what's the view for the
1: future then? Um, making that film of my life, of course, (laughs) firstly, I just need to get in touch with Christian Bale. Um, no, I think I'm just, yeah, I, I'm going to start working on, um, some short films for sure. Sort of touching in, in the drama world again. Um, I'm doing this podcast, which uh I think is gonna see us into the future um make our millions exactly and uh you know I'm doing uh an audio drama and then yeah the the mini doc which I never thought I would ever make um a doc what's That's it about coming out Ah, oh, just lonely old men <laughs> in what <laughs> in what sense in what context um so uh it's about a community shed where men over the age of 50 and women too, but it's it set up for men and it's majority of men that go there, um, have a place where they can go and make shit and chat and, uh, give each other advice. And, you know, sometimes just go and have a cup of tea. It's a place where they can get out of their four walls.
0: Okay. Do these people typically have, um, you know, either they've been widowed or. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yes yeah, you know, Some of them are widowed. Some of them are disabled. Um, right. There's people that have retired and that was, you know, such a big part of their social life. And now all of a sudden they have nothing and they feel like they've fallen out of touch with society. And there's a feeling of worthlessness there. Um, And this film is all about telling their stories, um, why they found the shed uh, or why they needed the shed and thus why the shed's so important. It's all about finding your tribe. I think I, I got really attached to the idea that throughout life we, constantly look for those people that we have something in common with yeah and we're releasing it in during mental health week um which is really exciting because it's such a such a big issue and and right now you know in isolation these guys don't have anywhere they can go of course i didn't even think of that yeah man it's fucking it's devastating this is just one of many places where people can can go and uh it just right now we have to really be aware that there are vulnerable people out there that don't have access to human contact yeah and where can where can people watch this so it will be uh released on vimeo uh but i'll be sharing it so so follow me on instagram and you, i'll put a link up to it Which uh, at danny at danny baldwin simple as that
0: that's very simple yeah
1: um but yeah uh give it a watch give it a like as well because that would be nice <laughs> Um, I
0: guess that's the point at which we get back to the title of this podcast. Mm. Um, So I have to ask, what is it that's kept you going in this Mm. hugely challenging industry? Or are you just too stupid to quit? Uh,
1: I am definitely too stupid to quit man i think about quitting like once a month at least <laughs> at least wow. resilient yeah um it's fuck it's hard man but the life of creative is hard and it takes its toll but uh i think i'm too stupid for two reasons firstly i literally cannot imagine doing anything else that's how stupid i am but that's I passion imagine. as well Sure, i call it stupidity <laughs> and and i mean
0: i would i would if when you ask me
1: this question Mm. i'm
0: gonna fight it i'm gonna argue it
1: i am no man no you're just embracing it i'd be if i could imagine doing something else i'd be out in a fucking (laughs) (laughs) tick. and secondly um i generally think i'm too stupid to do anything else like sometimes i'll see like uh What's it called when, you, when someone puts a job application out where they want someone to hire, to hire someone? I'll see something like that because like my brother's looking for a new job or something. And I look down and I'm like, man, I can't do any of this. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really hard. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, definitely this guy's too stupid to quit. And I love it.
0: Right, I think we um we should get on to our feature, shouldn't we? I think you can you can take off your interviewee hat now and you can join me for the first time as co-host. Let me hear the change in your voice.
1: Hello, this is Danny Baldwin and uh, I'm talking to Josh <laughs> Danford.
0: My God, it's so much better. <laughs> um No, we've come up with a pandemic feature which will mm. we'll hope to continue even after lockdown eases um basically what we've done is we've we've ripped off desert island discs um so i'm going to be asking danny what five pieces of creative work he'd put into a time capsule for the sort of future of humankind's creatives sort yes. of imagining that we're in this post-apocalyptic mm. world and I mean we gotta keep these things safe um have I explained that? What?
1: Yeah, it's like it's like uh, like you said. There's um, an island disc on steroids, yeah. so we're just asking a couple of extra little bonus ones. So, um, just to run you through what we'll what we'll be
0: asking each week, it'll be our guests' favourite film, favourite TV show, favourite album, book, piece of visual art. So that's a painting, a photograph, or a sculpture, anything like that. And then for a little Brucey bonus, we're going to chuck in a piece of advice as well, just for any any future creatives out there.
1: So Danny, what's your favourite film? Yeah, this one was really hard. Um, I usually uh, force people to listen to my favourite five, um, but uh, I've gone with a film that I don't think is aged um, in terms of my enjoyment of it. Um, it was sort of one of when I watched this film, I was just blown away with the the beauty, the storytelling, the the characters in it. And it is duh, 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 duh. Ridley Scott's Gladiator.
0: A brilliant film. I mean, it's just beautiful. Yeah. No, it really is. Um, Russell Crowe's sexy and bearded.
1: Russell Crowe is so good. I mean, he gets a fucking bad rap, but man, that guy can act yeah. fucking phenomenal. One of my favorite pieces of trivia about that, that, that film is, I can't remember what line it is, but it's something about uh, a line that um, Russell Crowe has to say, and uh, it's become like one of those cult classic lines. Like, uh, It's great that you can remember it from your favorite film. Oh, no, I should have, should have remembered it. Uh, I should have looked this up before. <laughs> And uh, Ridley Scott was begging him to say the line. And he was like, I'm not saying that line it's fucking shit. And they were like, please say the line. Please say the line. And it went on for a couple of days. Don't know how it went on for a couple of days, but it did. And eventually he said the line and, you know, it got made into a film. It became this iconic line that now everyone remembers but me. And asked afterwards, they were like, do you regret kicking up a massive stink about that line? Now it's become uh, such a cult classic. And he said, I'm the world's best actor. I can make any piece of shit sound good. And I love it. That doesn't make me love Russell Crowe. I love it. But it
0: does remind me of when we shot our film that got into Rain Dance because mm-hmm. there was a line in that that I just refused to say. Mm. And I think I won just by doing the bit of the line that I didn't like really badly. So you had to cut around it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that, what, that. what Russell Crowe did is he took a line he didn't like and made it amazing. You took a line you didn't like, made it so shit, I had to... F- Find a way to cut around it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just didn't make sense. I couldn't, I couldn't make the sense out of it. Anyway, let's not dwell on that. No. Um, TV show, what you got for me?
1: Uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Nerd. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I used to go home every day from school and just watch a couple of those episodes that were on TV. Uh, they're so feel good. They're brilliant. I fucking love them. And there's so many episodes that the future generation is going to be able to binge for like weeks
0: I don't know much about this is this Patrick Stewart Patrick Stewart man time yeah
1: one true love big old Paddy Stew yeah um, fellow
0: egg love a fellow egg yeah he's he wears yeah, it well
1: he's brilliant um, there's something so nostalgic about Star Trek for me I think if I got to direct Star Trek man that would be life complete uh, your favourite album Danny yep it's called Colour by Pete Joseph, um, who? Sorry, Pete Joseph. I don't mean to be. No, I mean I don't think he's hugely well known. Um, this it, is a new album, an old album? I don't know. Me and Lou, we heard it in a, like a vegan bar in India, oh, God. and it was a song, and it was it was such an amazing song. We play it all the time now, and the rest of the album's great. It's just one of those albums you can put on the background um, and just get on with your day. It's like quite chill. There's quite some experimental stuff in there. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, so check it out. Colour by it Pete out. Joseph. I'll, I'll give
0: it a listen and see yeah, if man. it inspires me. Speci- to be a- it's,
1: especially color on the album. The, the song "Color" as well is okay. uh, it's so color on the album "Color." Yeah, by Pete Yosef or Joseph. Or? Uh, it's J O S E F. Um, I don't. I don't know.
0: I'm I'm pleased that there's another one of your categories that you're not
1: too certain <laughs> about, but it's. your <laughs> <laughs> um well, let's go on to the next one your favorite book uh it's one i'm actually currently reading and i love it so much it's gonna be my favorite book what is this bullshit it's called a suitable Boy. you haven't finished reading it it could it's, be dreadful no it's called a suitable boy right it's about 1500 pages long with bible size print like it's so small the text
0: it sounds awful
1: um who's it by Ah, uh, yeah i'm gonna have to look that up for this uh <laughs> But it hasn't come so, prepared. So it's has <laughs> not come prepared. It's a book. Uh, it's about four families in India, right? And each chapter it takes on someone else's point of view, and, it, and it's incredible glimpse into just family life, how we work as human beings, like the the nuances that he writes in that, and you know people's inner dialogue, their monologues is just so spot on. It's it's fucking brilliant. And the chapters are so small, you can just pick up read one and then move on with your day. It's great.
0: The author is
1: Vikram Seth. Yeah, check it out. Thanks he's, thanks he's, again, Danny. He's yeah. a fucking G.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. On to the final
1: physical piece of art, the yeah. piece of visual art. What are you going for? Uh it's a mosaic of my girlfriend Lucy. Um her dad got an amazing mosaic artist from yeah. Manchester Oh fuck, you dog! Fucking <laughs> <back> man, <laughs> what are we doing? I'm gonna come in, All right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, this guy called um, Mark Kennedy. See, I know his name. Made it. F- Lucy's dad got it for Lucy's mum as um some sort of gift, and it's a mosaic of Lucy. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. She looks incredible, and I just fucking love it. What was it made of? Like tiles, I don't know. Okay, so it's like a ceramic, yeah. proper mosaic Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. It must be heavy. Yeah, because it's on like, they do it on concrete background. But he's sure. made some mad shit. Check him out. When it goes
0: on the wall? or Cool. Um, right, finally, a piece of advice for any future
1: creatives, please, Danny. Yes. My advice is to find a side hustle. It's something that I didn't do very well. Um, Fifty I, Cent did it well. Yeah, man. He sold
0: like smack or or crack.
1: Or yeah, something, right. It's actually smoke or smack and crack. Yeah. Um, is, is that what you mean? No, not. Don't become a drug dealer. Okay. Uh, what I mean is find something that you'd be happy doing. For the next 10 plus years of your life that you can run alongside your creative career something that you can make money with but something that if you know the the creative thing never works out you you'll have a happy content life because you enjoy doing this thing what would that be for you um i mean I, it's it's hard for me because i'm too stupid to fucking do anything yeah. but you know <laughs> for me I, I i if i had a somewhere to live that was when I wasn't in London I lived in a flat if I had somewhere where I had a space to work like a garage I definitely would have been making you know furniture out of reclaimed things um I I make a lot of stuff here at home I do a lot of palette stuff don't you yeah just I I definitely would have been on Etsy (laughs) just selling (laughs) shit it's something that I love doing it's I find it very meditative um and had I the chance to do that, I think I definitely would have. Um But yeah, I encourage people to find something else I love, try and make some money from it, and don't put all your eggs on the creative thing because you want to keep that fire and that magic for it. Mm. And you you need to be able to live, man. Like, you need to afford toilet paper, especially. Yeah, the- yeah, there's so many shit jobs that you could do as a creative to to get by, and it's fucking mind-numbing. Do something you like. Do something you enjoy. Well, thank you very much,
0: Danny. No, thank you, man. Thanks for being on your own podcast. Oh, it was a pleasure. And I can hear Ziggy rustling away in the background. So are you going to pop him up onto FaceTime so I can see his hairy face? Right. Who's hairier? Hey. I'm
1: come up and see Uncle Joshy. <laughs> Hello. Oh, oh there he at the is. Mic. He's very hairy. Ziggy, look at him. Speak. No, that's Lick. Speak. Speak show showing me up does he know how to speak can you t- he does yeah he'll bark normally but it normally it, once he's in that mode he goes a bit mad right and he wants to show you all his tricks
0: well I think that's a lovely way to end the podcast with a yeah a furry friend so um I'll catch you next time see you later dude. see you later man love you love you man bye bye So I just wanted to tag on to the end to say that in the podcast, we mentioned sunny sides out in a week's time. Uh, but what happened is like time twisted around weirdly. Uh, and it's actually out now, isn't
1: it, Danny? It is. Yeah, there was uh, two contributing factors. Firstly, um, I got the, the the release date wrong. So I thought it was next week and it was actually the week in which we recorded. And secondly, we just faffed around so much but it's out. So go watch. Um, you liked it, right?
0: Yeah, I loved it. It's beautiful. Um, no, genuinely really, really beautiful. Remind, remind people where they can watch it.
1: You can watch it on, uh, it's on Vimeo and the link you'll find in my bio on Instagram, which is at Danny Baldwin. Give it a watch. Give it a like. We'll put it in the Too Stupid To Quit, uh,
0: the at Too Stupid To Quit Instagram as well, which we haven't made yet, but we will. Absolutely. Um,
1: cool. Nice one, guys. Bye.
0: Bye.